What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. How do you build an elite HR organization to make the lives of women and children better around the world? I'm CT at Engage Rocket, and to help us answer that question today is Howard Wallach. He's the Deputy Chief HR and Administrative Officer at Japaigo. Howard, welcome to the show. Thank you, CT. Could you tell us a little bit more about Japaigo and your role within that organization and how you've built it up? Japaigo is an international health nonprofit with a U.S. office in Baltimore, Maryland. We were created about 50, 51 years ago as a project at Johns Hopkins University. And today we're a, an independent nonprofit, but still affiliated with Johns Hopkins. Our vision is that we want to help develop self-reliant countries, healthy families, and resi resilient communities around the world with the belief that all women, children, and families, regardless of where they live, should have equitable access to high-quality, life-saving health care. We are a donor-funded organization that gets support from organizations like USAID, the UN United Nations Population Fund, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and many other donors. And we started 50 years ago as an educational program for nurses and nurse midwives to improve the outcomes at birth in lower resource countries. And Japaigo was initially the Johns Hopkins Program for International Education in Gynecology and Obstetrics. But now 51 years later, we just use the name Japaigo because we've grown into a very full service international health organization. We do work in HIV AIDS, cervical cancer, detection and treatment, safe surgery. We did a lot in COVID around the world, adolescent health, family planning, and a number of other things like malaria, tuberculosis, and others. So the organization has grown, whereas 18, 20 years ago, we were primarily U.S. located with some staff overseas. In the last 18 or 20 years, under a very visionary president and CEO by the name of Dr. Leslie Mancuso, we've really globalized and, and localized. Today, we have about 4,100 employees in 39 countries around the world. And for the HR team, we have about 75 or 77 HR people around the world, which makes the ratio of HR to employees one to about 55, which is intense and localized. What we've done under the leadership of the president, as well as a previous CHRO and now the current CHRO, who I work for, Bernadette Channer, we have over time become a full global HR organization with a core team called Global Human Resources, primarily in Baltimore, but with some of our team already in the field. And then we have either an HR officer, an HR manager, or an HR director or multiples thereof 
in each country, depending on our size and the number of projects and the number of employees. It's uh, amazing the kind of scale that you guys have reached. And you said you guys are in 39 different countries. Does every single one of these have uh, an HR representative or not really? Most of them do. And I should say close to 40 countries we're now in the, in the 51 years that we've been in existence, we've actually served in 150 different countries. But where we serve is often dependent on where there's funds for different house initiatives at a time. In terms of HR, as I said, every country, once it gets to a certain critical mass, will have an HR practitioner. A few countries we don't yet, and those would then be covered by one of our regional HR business partners. I currently lead a team of five regional HR business partners, one for French West Africa, another for English-speaking West Africa, East Africa, Southern Africa, and Asia. And each of those regional HR business partners backstops a portfolio of countries. Thanks for laying out that in detail. And the reason I'm probed on that was because to support what sounds to be a really complex organization with different specializations, different healthcare, legislative regimes, you need a really strong HR team. And with that ratio of one is to 55, that's, as you said, it's intense. I can imagine that everyone's double, triple, quadruple having and trying to make things work. So how have you gone about thinking through building this HR organization to support the broader mission of the organization? I think the first thing, CT, is to be very clear about where our local HR team members, priorities, and stakeholders lie. So whenever we do hire someone in a country and the global HR team, we will interview along with a country director, a chief of party, a technical lead in a medical specialty. We will sit on an interview panel with them, but every HR person who is hired reports to the country director. And then they have dotted line reporting to global human resources. So first of all, it's clear that the priority of the local HR person is to support the country HR operations. And that's by supporting the country director, the program managers, supervisors, and we give them support services and training and troubleshooting so they can do it well. So first, recruit HR staff very carefully looking for organizational culture and sectoral fit, meaning working in international non-governmental organizations is a little bit different than working in normal industry or normal public sector. So we look for people who have that experience or who are willing to learn it. The key is to make sure that once hired, the HR person in the country has a seat at the table on the senior management team in the country. It sounds like having a very robust hiring process that involves the multitude of stakeholders that will be working with that uh, HR representative is a big part of it. Maybe we spoke earlier a little bit about continuous learning as well. So once they've come into the organization, making sure that their skills, uh, their competencies are up to industry standard and, and continue to grow with the industry. How, how do you go about doing that? First of all, we support the onboarding of any, every HR member 
regardless of where they are around the world. So while we may hire someone in Nigeria and they're going to be learning about the health delivery programs that we're doing in Nigeria, we from Global HR will help to design their onboarding package and make sure that they are trained in the systems we have, for example, our human resource information system. The other things that we do is we try to support continuous learning. So we have a very strong platform called JLearn, which is where all of our learning assets are contained. And that's not just for HR, that's for everyone around the world. And I'm very proud to say that last year, in the last fiscal year of our 4,000 employees, they completed 66,000 different courses. And many of those are obligatory onboarding courses. We have a supervisory management course for anybody who is a manager, but we also have voluntary learning and 19% of those 66,000 course completions were voluntary. We also have an annual ethics safeguarding compliance training that everyone around the world has to do. So we encourage each of our HR practitioners to embrace learning as continuous learners and be role models because they have to roll out these programs. We have a global learning week every year where we suggest some topics, but we invite everybody to get on our platform at least once that week and do something voluntary in terms of learning for themselves. We encourage the HR managers in each country co-promote that program so that we're creating a continuous learning organization. That's incredible because if you think about, I'm just doing the math on what you said, with 66,000 completions, that's quite significant. That's about one to one and a half of these programs per, per month on average that 4,000 people are doing. That's huge. One of the things we've done is we've packaged learning. So while some of our courses might be one hour in duration, and then others might be packaged as a curriculum, like our supervisory curriculum, we've also embraced micro learning. And so a few years ago, we did an RFP, a, a request for proposals, and we have a number of micro learning courses, which are backed by data where people can learn about something in five to 12 minutes of their time. And I think that's helped to make it easier as well as more relevant because people can go in and say, oh, I'm having a communications issue. What's there that's quick, but relevant to my needs. And then they do it. I can see how that would improve the completion rates and the adoption rates of such things. And I think we were also talking a little bit about associations and professional standards, bodies, qualifications. Could you talk a little bit through about how you manage that? There's a couple things that we do. There is an organizational membership organization for international nonprofits called Umentum, which we are a member of. And Umentum provides learning and development in HR, technology and IT, programming and finance. So anyone who has a Japigo email can go into the Umentum platform and also access our learning. So we, that's another way that we get uh, our HR teams to have exposure to best practices, as well as networking with peers, not only in their countries, but in their regions and even globally. The other thing that we do is we do recommend, though we don't uh, require it, that every um, HR practitioner should belong to their local HR association in whatever country they are in. And if there is a 
professional certification, usually with a body of knowledge and exam-based that's offered, we encourage them to get that as well. So in some countries like Kenya and Nigeria, there's local certifications. Other people where their local HR organizations may not have certification, we encourage them to consider the Society for Human Resource Management certifications, or since they're often in global roles, the, the Global Professional and Human Resources or the Senior Professional Human Resources International from the HR Certification Institute. So we encourage it. We don't require it, but many of our team members have done it. And the other thing that we do is budgeting allowing, we will organize every two years a global HR retreat. And so we may not have all 75 of the HR practitioners in our global network in one place, but certainly 45 to 50 of them. We just did it this year, earlier this year, we had 45 of our staff, which was the highest ranking HR practitioner from each country, and then some core people from our global human resources team in Baltimore. So we go there um, every two years. We try to do this. We hold it in a different location. And one of the things that we do is we try to mix it up and make sure that the learning is multidirectional. So it's not just those of us from Baltimore telling what we do. It's us in advance of these events, getting best practices and who's been most successful with some kind of HR challenge and them sharing it with our peers in these biannual HR retreats. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR impact. And now back to the show. I guess it's almost like a cross-pollination of best practices, thinking across all the different regions in the world. It's, it's a great event because it'll go a lot into depth into any policy changes. One of the things that we do across the world is every two years, we update the salary scales in each country and we update the local HR manual so that it's compliant to the country's labor law. So the HR practitioners in each country do that. And then we at Global Human Resources do quality control. We make sure that if we've introduced any new, new policies since the last time that those are incorporated, and we make sure that any benefits changes in a country are incorporated into each update. That's something that we do. So we share best practices and how to do that. We have our compensation manager talk about our compensation philosophy, particularly if there's anybody new from the last time we met. and. What it creates is a great team building. Everybody knows each other. And then after that, to maintain that spirit of teamwork, we organize quarterly calls for everyone in HR, usually of two to three hours duration, where we'll have a check-in point, a touch point to continue the learning or discuss new challenges or new policies. And so that's how I think when you use the term creating an elite HR team, it's all about having frequent touch points, but also clarity around the expectations for the level of quality of outputs for the salary, salary scale updates against compensation policy consistently around the world. 
The numbers will be different from place to place, but the policy, the equity, and the transparency in implementing compensation will hopefully be the same across the world. So that's how we build the teams, starting with good recruitment and hiring and onboarding, and then frequent touch points and clarity of expectations. And maybe let's use a case in point, because you mentioned in our conversation earlier that, that one of the major programs that was implemented across Tripago was the continuous performance management. And in any organization, for profit or not, this is a tricky thing to implement. And it sounds that cohesiveness within the HR team actually made that implementation quite smooth. Could you talk through a little bit about that experience? I wouldn't say smooth. I would say challenging. I have to be honest. A few years ago, our leadership made the decision that having one annual appraisal wasn't working. And one of the reasons was people were surprised. The key to continuous performance management is not so much the appraisal, but the performance management. And so what we created is a system where for two to three years before we even made the switch, we did a lot of education internally, not only with our HR practitioners and partners, but with all supervisors about how to do one-on-one meetings with staff and how to do them effectively. And only after about three years did we introduce then the continuous performance management. And we recommend that a supervisor and a supervisee meet weekly for a half an hour. If they can't meet weekly, it can be done every two weeks. And if they can't meet every two weeks, it has to be done at least 12 times a year. We all know in HR that people don't leave their organizations, they leave their supervisors. And the more communication and touch points you have, the greater the trust is, and then the more productive and cohesively and in an integrated manner, teams can move forward and be productive and efficient. Then we have a platform where people have to go in and once a quarter, they have to document that they met, what's the, the progress against objectives, and then what are high-level activities or tasks or goals for the next quarter. The challenge, CT, when we did this is people have overthought it. We don't need, when they get onto our platform, we don't need a novel. We don't need a long discussion. What we need is one or two, if all the one-on-ones are taking place, then we just need a corroboration. And then there's also checkpoints where they can check whether the objectives that they entered early in the year are complete, in progress, not started, or postponed. And that's all they have to do. And then, and if they've had the conversations, then there's no surprises. So it has been a challenge, but I will tell you, we don't have 100% compliance. Every year since we've made it, it's gotten better. And I will tell you, at the country level, our HR teams have done a lot to promote this. I will say one of the challenges in this is that some of our supervisors have been resistant. And we remind them, if you work 40 to 50 hours a week, and even though we have uh, in some countries a 37.5 work hour per week um, schedule, we know that our people are working a little bit more than that. If you're a supervisor and you're working 40 to 50 hours a week, a 30-minute meeting with a supervisee is 1% of your time. And so we say to the supervisors, focus a little bit less on the clinical stuff 
that you love, delegate more and step up and supervise your teams by giving them the time, the attention and the undistracted feedback that they all deserve. We're almost at time. So if you had to give the chief HR officer who is looking at building a uh, global HR team, what would be some of the key actionable takeaways that you would like to share from your experience today with this person? I think good selection of the HR team is the base. You need to find people who have competence, education, but also who are inspired by the mission and vision of an international health organization. And some of our team members come from other uh, NGOs and other sectors. It could be agricultural development. It could be youth development. But we want people to understand, people who join our HR team and function, that everything they do to make supervisors and individual uh, contributors comfortable in their jobs, competent in their jobs, with clarity in their jobs, gives them then the time to focus on the international health work, which is our purpose. And if we can find the HR practitioners who can do that well, then we are contributing indirectly to improving the lives of women and children and families around the world. The other thing that I would say is clear expectations for performance. And when, just like in any other part of the business, if someone isn't performing, give them the right coaching, but give them clarity about what they need to do. And if they're not up to the job, then sometimes separation and termination is better for them and better for our organization. So hire people who've chosen the profession, who have an inclination or a dedication to causes and the nonprofit world, and people who themselves set high standards for themselves. So if they set high standards for themselves and we set high standards for them, they're going to rise to the occasion. Thanks for sharing that wisdom, Howard. And if people want to find you, what's the best way for them to do so? LinkedIn. I'm there. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today, Howard. For those who are listening, I hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you leave us a review and tune in next time on the HR Impact Show. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.